I never once thought that maybe because they lived in America that their belief systems were changing too. What are my values? What do I really want to do? Time isn't running out. My journey gives me a different perspective on life. Everyone is like that. I kind of feel a little more fearless in chasing music all the way. I want you to learn that there's a difference between speaking poorly about your parents and speaking clearly about things that are affecting you. The fulfillment is not going to come without hard work. But you know in your heart kind of who you are. It's the right choice. It's 100% the right choice. When you're they see like those questions, they study in There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe. This is the Desi Condition. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Desi Condition. In this episode, I want to talk about religion and mental health. Western medicine has largely established that it has nothing to do with religion and vice versa, but faith actually plays a huge role in many people's lives, especially when it comes to mental health. So I want to use this episode to explore the intersection of faith and mental health. And to do that, I'm talking to Nafisa, who is the founder and CEO of Children of 1971 today. We were talking about our respective journeys with just spirituality, faith, and mental health. She was raised Muslim. Um, I was raised Hindu. Um, and as we were talking, we found that we both actually had some very similar experiences. Um, and so we thought we would walk into an episode and talk about it. Hi, Nafisa. Hi, Tushi. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to have you. I feel like this is like the collab that's been waiting to happen for so long. I know. I know. I feel talk all the time so it's it's about time that we um just recorded it because we have great conversations and um yeah we really do um so you have been uh right before we started this conversation we were talking about what it's been like for how what ramadan has been like for you maybe we can start there how's that been going for you um yeah let's definitely talk about that so we're right dab in the middle of Ramadan. And it's been very interesting for me because um, this is the first year in many years that I've properly done Ramadan where I was, you know, praying and um, fasting or trying to fast all 30 days and, um, you know, with no water and everything like that. Um, Just because of mental health, actually. Where because in the years past, I didn't feel as though I had the ability to do that um, because of my mental health. Um, so it has been a bit of a struggle, <laughs> especially the last couple days. Um, as you get farther and farther into Ramadan, the days extend. Um, and because we're in quarantine, it's a very obviously already turbulent time for mentally. Mm-hmm. So on top of that, not having, you know, um, anything to lean back on when you're fasting, because you're actually just abstaining from everything. Like, you know, you're abstaining from water, you're abstaining from food, you have to abstain from drugs, alcohol, um, you have to abstain from cursing, which I haven't been great at, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, so like it's, there's literally nothing to fall back on, especially when you're already feeling down because of this time. So 
um it's definitely been a challenge for sure you guys are like literally such badasses for fasting for a whole month you know my parents once tried to get me to fast for literally like 12 hours (laughs) and then like four hours in they were like are you hungry i was like yeah i am um it was really sad it was pathetic honestly yeah you know like listen everybody fasts in their own way you know but um I forgot, like I forgot because I hadn't done fasting properly in so many years, how hard it is, like, and how bad, I guess, quote unquote, badass it is at the same time. Um, It does teach you a lot, you know, Um, and I think that's why I was so, I was just so set on doing it. Like I was like, I have to do all 30 days this year because you don't get like it. Ramadan only comes once a year. Um, and it's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not really, I can't even explain properly. I I do understand like, um, the whole fasting and discipline thing and like how it can make you feel closer to, cause like, I, I didn't, I never fasted for religion, but I did used to do 36 hour fast. Um, when I was, this was years ago, I can't do it living with my parents anymore. They would freak out, but Wait, why? 36 hours. Um, but I did drink water. It was really hard, but it was like, I did drink water. Um, I was doing it because I kind of wanted to reset my mind and my body. I felt like I was just putting like a lot of junk in my body, food wise. And then also just having just like, I think just like the, the hunger kind of made me like reset the stupid things I was thinking about. Like, it just helped me to kind of prioritize stuff. And it, it made me more in tune with my body, too, so that when I did eventually start eating again, I was only craving things that my body actually needed. And that was actually nourishing and not junk. And I was thinking about things. And, it, it, like, it reflected in my mental health, too, because I wasn't thinking about negative things. Like, I was just thinking about, like, okay, here's what I do next. Because, like, when I'm hungry and I go straight for the food, I don't, like, if I'm fasting, I have other things to distract myself with at least. Like I have I can focus on my work, you know, I can focus on my well-being in other ways. Um and of course, the fact that I was drinking water does make it a lot easier. But like I was like working out in the middle of my fasts and stuff. I was fine. It was honestly really nice. Yeah. That's actually insane. I mean, I've heard of people doing water fasts and how beneficial that is um in general. I actually have looked into water fasts too because I think that they say that there's a lot of health benefits to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the obviously like with that, it, it's very similar, right? The concept of, you know, cleaning out mm-hmm. um, toxins in your body, cleaning out your mind and stuff, being only aware of, you know, what you want to be aware of. Um, I definitely feel those things too. There's definitely been moments of clarity, like so many times throughout Ramadan. Like I, I feel as though I know myself better than I've ever known myself just because I spend so much time with myself lately and <laughs> because I don't mm-hmm. have anything to distract with. Um, but I yeah. think there's I like... that it's harder in quarantine. I can yeah. definitely see that. Yeah, like, you know, um, so you have, you ha- you're already stuck with your own thoughts, but um, because you're trying to stay holy or, you know... Um, you know, always, I'm always like in taking like, you know, different hadiths and stuff. I'm trying to read the Quran. I'm listening to positive um, things all the time to reinforce that, 
into my brain and like um, something I really need to do, I think, and I'm going to um, implement this in the last couple of days of Ramadan is really just stop being on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like I think that has been, especially because you're in quarantine, you're always on your phone. Um, and it's, it's phone fast. Yeah. yeah. I want to include the phone fast in the rest of my time because um, yeah, like it, it, you can't, it, it doesn't make sense, but like, um, like sometimes like you don't even realize what you're reading and stuff and that can, um, also pollute your mind. So, yeah. um, yeah. And I'm, I just really want to be, I think the hardest thing for me, especially with fasting is with my parents. Cause I'm, 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 I came home specifically for Ramadan and, um, everybody gets so cranky. <laughs> so cranky when we're fasting so um you know in order to prevent like those kind of just like bickering and um you know uh, maintaining like a positive relationship with my parents at this time um I do want to focus more on that and stay away from the phone because I think that like you know um it's just easy to get absorbed in that as well yeah um so you said this is your first time fasting right um well it's not my first time fasting it's my first time fasting the entire month um in many years oh okay yeah because I wasn't um religious before actually at all yeah that was gonna be my next question for you what's your relationship with religion like or growing up yeah um so I definitely feel as though I was not connected to Islam and I think we share similar sentiments about Mm -hmm. religion in general. Um, But, you know, I was, I considered myself agnostic for pretty much half my life. I think from when I was like in the beginning of high school to maybe like a lot, maybe since I'm like 26 right now when I was like 24. So a lot of your formative years. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. And it's funny because I just had a conversation with my mom today about, you know, um, religion. And she wanted me to listen to some, you know, YouTube videos of some imams um, or people who like, you know, lead prayers and stuff. She wanted me to listen to these men speaking about religion and all that. And I told her I'm, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning on my own time. Um, I'm listening to them and stuff, but I have to do everything on my own time. And she said, you know, she also explained to me that she is also learning. Like my mom has become really, really religious the last couple of years. And she was wow. like, yeah, I didn't know so any So it kind of happened around the same time for you guys? Yeah. Like, I mean, my mom was always religious, right? Like, I feel like maybe your parents may be the same way. But like, um, and I actually think that this is something very, very um common in bengali culture specifically like for bengali muslims at least um they are not aware of why they're religious you know like we're just talking interesting um and i think like some people are very much like you know understand it you know are taught really well growing up and stuff but that was not the case for my mom you know my mom's mom was also very religious and then she never really understood but she just forced it upon us right um I never understood so I was like I'm gonna reject this and now I'm learning and she's learning the same things as me like me and her 
she is asking me to watch the same YouTube videos I'm already watching. And I'm like, mom, <laughs> I'm watching these two. We're, we're on the same wavelength, right? Um, and she's like, yeah, like I'm learning a different side of Islam that I've never seen before. And yeah, it is really nice. And I think that we can thank the internet for that, yeah. you know? <laughs> like the internet has so much information out there. And like, that's the only reason I feel connected now. Um, and also because I like have found other avenues of Islam that like relate to me a lot more. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you think um, Bangladeshi Muslims or like Bengali Muslims tend to be a little more blind in their faith. Um, do you have like any theories why that's the case? Or I don't know if you've read anything about it. Well, in my opinion, and this is all opinion and um, based on like what I know from history in general. Um, so as you guys may know, uh, my entire platform, Children of 1971, is based on the 1971 war, which was between Bangladesh, which was East Pakistan, and then West Pakistan, which is like modern day Pakistan right now. So at that time, a lot of what it was was like pretty much a genocide to make everyone in Bangladesh appear Muslim, you know, because um, that was a huge part of why that occurred, like why that occurred. Also, they were trying to get rid of the language, which a lot of people know is Mother Language Day, you know, um, which is why there's a huge uh, emphasis mm -hmm. on the Bengali language you know, in our culture. <laughs> yeah, Ikushi February. Yes, exactly. Um, so from what I know in general is that, you know, um, they didn't consider us pure, like the Muslims and stuff. And so especially because a lot of our people, um, you know, in our history and stuff were Sufis. Like in our history, like Bangladeshis were very much taught the Sufism, which is not a sect of Islam, but more so a belief system that, you know, is considered mystical Islam. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of what was happening, you know, during this partition was people were trying to get rid of, you know, anything that was not considered, you know, regular Islam, like Sufi Islam is actually looked down upon in a lot of um, Bangladeshi eyes, and also like definitely in Pakistan and other areas as well. What Sufism actually is, is just the point of Sufism, which is not like a sect or anything like that. It's, it's to be one with God, mm -hmm. which actually sounds like Hinduism, maybe. I don't know. Like, you can tell me if that sounds similar in any sense, but, um, you know, there is a lot of influence or Hindu, Hindu influence um, of Sufism and Christian Christianity as well also influence Sufism, but it is based in okay. Islam. In maybe, that, maybe that makes sense because, like, regionally there was probably Hindu and Christian influences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bangladesh has both, right? right they yeah. have Hindus, they have a lot of Christians as well. Um, so it makes sense that our country is such like a melting pot of religion in general. <laughs> and Sufism, I think, is something that is, it's just more spiritually based, I think. Um, they consider themselves like the truth seekers of what, some, from what I know. And they're more so like, you know, they engage in a lot of meditation. 
Um, they reject materialism, which mm-hmm. is a huge part of Sufism and all about being more one with God and um, with oneself in yeah. general. Um, so then how did you, I guess, well, this is a two-parter. Um, how did you s- kind of start to discover Sufism and why does that resonate more with you than um, how you were raised? And also, what was it about growing up Muslim that made you want to reject it? I know you did mention kind of like blind faith. Um, are there other kind of factors besides that? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll talk about like what came first, which is more in like me rejecting Islam mm-hmm. um, earlier in life. And, you know, I think that I didn't understand why I was rejecting it. Um, at the time, I remember thinking that God was not there for me. Like, you know, like that I was always taught that if you were, you know, you prayed and you did all this stuff, like bad things wouldn't happen to you. And I felt like I had bad luck, right? Um, Now looking back on it, a lot of my bad luck was based on, you know, sexism, toxic masculinity, and just, you know, bad experiences with men, honestly. Um, So, and I think that a lot of that I felt as though was related to Islam and how it was so um, such a patriarchal um, religion, in my opinion, you know, at that time, yeah. I didn't understand it. You know, I, didn't, I just understood like the hijab that's, a, that's you know, oppressing us in general. Um, that's definitely not the case, yeah, as I now know, then. for sure. So like, that's exactly what it was. And I didn't, I just was like, I don't believe that. Like, I feel as though I can be a good person without religion. Um, and if anything, religion makes me like not having religion makes me a better person because I don't have to accept these, um, beliefs that women are under men or, you know, beneath men. Um, and that was really hard for me to like, you know, like this whole concept of, you know, um, sexism and Islam was just really hard for me to. Yeah, I think like sexism was a big thing for me too, especially because like in the Hindu religion, you know, we have like actually like goddesses, right? Like female gods. And so I just like couldn't wrap my head around sexism. I think I did realize at a pretty young age, um, and I'm talking about like eight or nine years old, that I was like, this is hypocritical. And it felt like it had more to do with the culture than it did with the religion. And so I accepted early on that, like, there's no God or version of God that actually feels that women are inferior. So like, even I accepted that early on. But I think like, for me, just because of the way that Hinduism is perceived and um, how the community was like treating women and um, all that kind of stuff made me want to reject it anyway, because like, you know, Hinduism is kind of seen as like magical. Like it's not even really like mystical. It's just like straight, straight up magic. And like pop culture doesn't do a lot. Like hippie culture doesn't do a lot to like put Hinduism in a good light. Um, and so and then at the same time, like just going back to mental health, um, I didn't realize I was I've been open about this before, but like I have persistent depressive disorder, which means I remember being depressed like on the first day of kindergarten. Like I remember being depressed when I was like eight or nine years old. Like I've just always like had that problem. And I, I would like try to pray my depression away and it didn't work. And I just like 
couldn't understand it. And so eventually, like, I just kind of was like, I'm just going to concentrate on like, fix my own problems and like, be a good person. And this religion thing, it's fine. It's not for me. Um, And then I also felt like there's just like all this stuff that was like forced on me. Um, I think sometimes like Hinduism has this weird way of equating parents and especially husbands, which was really disturbing to me with like a godlike status. Um, and that was to me like the biggest part because I was looking around, like I was going to the Mandir with my parents and all the, just the way that the wives were always serving their husbands. Um, it felt like I don't even understand like why we're standing, literally standing in front of God, right? In front of a murti and you're like not even helping your wife and you're like talking down to her. And so I just had to dissociate from that set of people mentally. I just had to dissociate. Yeah. Oh my God. I can, I can totally, I feel that. I feel that as well. Um, That's something I feel as though I've only understood now or like I keep on thinking about at the moment, especially because but that's, I think, like you said, it's a lot more yeah. and based then, in culture. Oh, my God. Like, when I was young, I realized that the word shami, you know, like, the word for, like, husband. Yeah. The word shami oh, literally yeah. <laughs> translates to, like, master yeah. or lord or, like, a religious teacher. And I was like, I'm not going to, like, it also means husband, by the way, for, like, non-Bengalis. It's so disturbing to me. I'm like, I'm never, ever, ever calling my husband a shami. That's weird. I don't think people should see their their husbands that way. Yeah, they but they do. do. They do, and and I think that it's not just like husbands. They they see their yeah. like sons that way. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know I don't if have you brothers. have brothers. You don't have brothers, I believe. Yeah. Um, well, I have brothers, and you know, and something that is very common in maybe Desi culture in general, you know, not Muslim or Hindu, mm-hmm. um, is that men are, they don't have to do anything, right? Yeah. And you have to always, like, respect the man in whatever. And I think that um, sometimes we see it in a religious way as well, right? Um, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. And I think that it's perpetuated by religion. Um, you know, the fact that they don't really expect men to do anything and they're kind of where women are at the beck and call of men all the time. Um, Even in like prayer, for example, right? So when you go to a mosque, the men all sit in the front, right? Um, And they're closest to the imam, the person who is, you know, giving the speech and everything um, during, you know, our sermons. Um, And we're all the way in the back. We can't hear anything as well, and we can't see anything as well. But that's that's wow. That's what it is in every single mosque. Oh, like how men sit in the front and women sit in the back. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, it's very different in the mandirs, but that's only because like when we do our pujas and stuff, there's a lot of physical work to do because we're like offering food to the gods and like there's like stuff going on, and so that's why like women are in the front. But it's because they're doing all the work. wow yeah that's funny um it's like it's opposite but it's it's not (laughs) no exactly exactly right um so yeah those kind of things and I think that um maybe this understanding will you know maybe I won't feel as harshly about this you know um setup if I understood a little bit more and as 
as I do more research of my own research, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in Islam. But yeah, I don't know. Have you made more peace with those sides of religion? Um, Or what's your take now? I guess if we're like, you know, like I said, um, this has been a really good time to talk about religion, especially because I think um, as I started getting into religion again, you know, um, I was like, okay, like I, it's because I believe that um, the certain laws that we have or the certain things that hadiths um, or things that are written in the Quran, they do make you a better person. But those things I haven't really accepted yet. And I think that that's my own just me not liking patriarchy in general mm-hmm. and why, you know, like, and still having problems with authority, like male authority specifically and male um, dominance in our culture. Yeah. And um, I think that that's something I've been thinking about a lot <laughs> during this quarantine um, for very personal reasons. Um, but yeah, like, I think that, you know, as I learn more, I start to accept it. Um, but it has to be, it's only told by certain leaders, you know, there, there's only certain imams or spiritual leaders in Islam that will teach, you know, the right way of looking at it. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of them are still very sexist and still don't really understand, you know, there's been, there's a very popular spiritual leader in Islam that had been, um, accused of, you know, molesting women. And that was really hard, you know, cause like, that's like someone who everyone listens to. And it's the same thing with like, you know, priests and stuff that like children, mm-hmm. it happens in every religion, you know? And so I think that that is still something that I struggle with because that is only something that happens with males, you know, for the most part, like only males do that. Right. Um, you don't really see like the nuns like molesting children. Mm-hmm. We don't have like many spiritual leaders in Islam that are what female. There are a few uh, female imams and it's becoming more common, but there's very, very few. And like you, you wouldn't hear something like that. So I think that those kind of things still bother me, but yeah. um, you know, I am, I'm coming to terms with religion in a different way and I still think that um, I can still take what I want from it. I don't know about you and how you feel about Hinduism, but I do take what I want from it. And that's why I think I go towards Sufism in general, because it relates to me just a little bit more than what regular Islam has been for me. I, I treat Hinduism kind of a la carte. Like, I, like, there's a lot of things that I do like about it. The elders around me have always said that it's it's not okay to be like homosexual, for example. But the actual Hindu religion, there's actually lots of texts and like lots of like scripts and stuff that say it's a perfectly fine. You should embrace homosexuality, and I like that about Hinduism a lot. Uh, I think there's like um, weird like the way that the gods are depicted are often like very light skinned, unless like there's a specific reason that they're like a different color. And then often that color, it's like a, not even a human color, like blue, right? Like no human is blue. So like 
but other than that, most of them are depicted as like very white skin. So for me, I'm like, okay, they obviously don't look like that. Like if we're talking about Indian gods, they're <laughs> they definitely look like brown skinned like me if they look like humans. Um, so it's like I just kind of pick and choose what I like about it. I, I, I think like there's no religion that actually says it's not okay to be homosexual. I don't think there's any God that says that. All, all, all that stuff that we've been talking about, like with sexism and colorism and everything, I, I don't think that's real. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely, um, I, I, I support that mindset. <laughs> so for me, it's really just more important to be spiritual and like be connected with my spirituality, whatever that is, whatever my version of God is. And Rather than to follow rules, because um, it's like you said, it's like it feels like otherwise I would just be following blindly. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, I think that that's exactly where I still I don't, you know, I still don't fully, you know, relate to Islam, you know, at the same time, because I'm way more connected to my spirituality, which is kind of why I got into Sufism, because mm-hmm. it is the mystical form of Islam. And I do consider myself more of a mystic. And in general, like spirituality for me has always been meditation and connecting to myself, really understanding my higher self and feeling God within me. That's what spirituality is, right? It's like feeling God within you almost and feeling very, very much connected to that. And Sufism, I only learned about it to answer your previous question. Um, I learned about it actually last year i was you know speaking to someone at the time and their parents were sufi that was the first time i've ever heard of anyone being sufi and i didn't know what that was i literally since then have met so many sufi muslims which is insane to me that i went literally 25 years of my life without meeting sufis at all until i became naturally spiritual like i i became spiritual and then i met sufis Right. Oh, which, wow. um, which is really, which is really nice because then I was like, it's a funny coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always believe I'm very big a believer in coincidences, coincidences and it happening for a reason. Um, so, you know, I felt as though I needed to embrace Islam again um, in order to really connect completely with myself because it was, it is where I was, I was born into Islam. And, um, you know, I know that there's so many good things about Islam. One thing I love it about it is that I always know that for the most part, like Muslim people have such good hearts. Like some of the most religious people I know have like the best hearts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I believe and I'm like, okay, well, if I understood Islam in the way that they understand Islam, maybe, you know, we can, we would connect, you know, like I would be able to um, feel connected to Islam. And so I think Sufism, because it's all about being connected, being most connected or being one with God pretty much, um, but also within the realm of Islam, it made me feel comfortable. It, It feels like a familiar territory because I've already known Islam. And I know for me, I definitely know spirituality because that's what I've been pretty much studying for the last two years of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty in love. Um, so I think that it just, and I, even today, you know, I learned more and more about Sufism and 
something I realized is that I really just need to read the Quran, like full on read it, interpret it. And like, that's a huge part of Sufism is within the Quran and not within spiritual leaders who may, you know, misinterpret things. Right. They, they, they like you said, like the Hindu uh, teachers, they'll shame homosexuality, but mm-hmm. in reality, in the text, it says it's fine. Right. Um, and the same that I it's think not even the just same. the text, there's architecture of temples depicting homosexuality and like queerness, oh, wow. you know, and it's like, it's so obviously fine in Hinduism. Like, it's just so, it's just absurd to me because it's just so, it, Hinduism is so loud about how fine it is, like in their physical art. Like, look at the Kama Sutra. Like, yeah, that's very true. Sex is supposed to be okay. Sex in any form is supposed to be okay, and yet our culture is like very against it. It's absurd to me. Yeah, exactly. You know, and who like who created those rules, right? Right. It was a man that like misinterpreted it, or, or okay, I won't say man, but like. <laughs> You know, someone misinterpreted it. I mean, there's probably a lot um, of reasons. I think probably um, British influence probably had a lot to do with it too. Yeah, for sure. No, I completely see that. For me, I think it's like, you know, um, I I think that within Islam, like that's something that I'm, I'm pretty sure is not written or very explicitly stated as it is in Hinduism. But I know that there's definitely things up for interpretation in the Quran that um, has not been taught by spiritual leaders that I've heard thus far. So um, that's like actually an endeavor that I need to take on. Like I've started reading it, but it's like, obviously it may be the same for you, like within text, it's just very hard to read. Mm -hmm. So like uh, I'm taking that on as my project um, to really understand it and kind of take these biases out of my life, you know, like, or, not I wouldn't say hatred, but just like this feeling that Islam has been bad to me or, um, you know, that it has been patriarchal or, you know, there's a lot of sexism. I don't want to feel this way. Yeah. I want to believe that there's, you know, it comes from a really good place. Yeah. And I've yet to find that, you know? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, whatever religion it is, in every religion, there's always stories of people using religion as a tool to control people. Yeah, right. Well, I definitely feel that. (laughs) Yeah, like spiritual abuse is huge, especially in like, I guess, more, I don't want to say regress. I'm going to say regressive, more regressive, like um, mentality it, it because it is regressive when you will literally try to like beat mental illness out of someone um you still hear stories of that kind of stuff happening of like oh like you've been possessed by demons and so here's what we do and or here's how we're gonna like shame this person out of their mental illness which is not a real thing right yeah and trying to like beat depression out of someone is one thing but then there's things like like more severe cases of schizophrenia that you can't treat it with religion you can't pray all your problems away i you know um i'm glad you brought up like schizophrenia and just mental health obviously since we are talking about mental health in islam people think that schizophrenia is like you being possessed by the devil Mm -hmm. you know um that's like a that's like a pretty common con- understanding. Like I think that my parents may think that, you know, that, well, n- not my father who's a healthcare professional, but like people in my family believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for a fact, like I'm also someone who has gone through 
you know, depression. Um, I, I have, I've talked about this with you before, but like also my eating disorder and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my mom always said, just pray, you know, like just pray and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and like, which is, it's funny because we're in the middle of Ramadan and Ramadan is one of the biggest triggers for me in terms of my depression and also my eating disorder, which go hand in hand. Yeah. And fasting doesn't make it easier, you know, like it doesn't make it easier to be happy. <laughs> like if anything, it's making me like feel very, like feel everything very, very strongly, like same depression that I always have felt. I feel it very, very strongly. And also like just being triggered to like, you know, go into old behaviors with my eating disorder is also being triggered at the moment. But I've started to use my spirituality as a way of controlling my own mental health in general. I say that like, you know, if I can get through this, right, like if I can get through to the end of the day and stuff, like I will, I can get through the next day, you know, and it's like, it's just building that strength. It's literally just building that willpower. Yeah, which is where I think that religion plays a really important role in mental health. I don't I don't necessarily believe it's a good idea to separate the two because there are people who are religious and like you need to acknowledge that. Like if you're a mental health professional, for example. And I think that religion really is about like human strength and willpower more than medication even if you know western culture loves to think that hinduism is somehow a cure for like or like buddhism you know is like a cure for um mental illness you know it doesn't go away like you know like i'm still suffering from it right? right like it's just you get better at handling it yeah and i think that that's the misconception that people have like you definitely people who need medication, still need medication. You know, people who can't fast because of their mental health, it's still a valid reason. Like it's something, and it's written in the Quran that that's, that's a valid reason to mm-hmm. not fast. Um, but it's up to the individual, right? Like to whether or not they want to subject themselves to it, right? Um, and yeah, like like you said, like they go hand in hand, like they, but at the same time, you can't like, you know, say that because you are being religious or because you're practicing and stuff like you won't feel this way. That's not it at all. Like you feel it like people feel it. I'm pretty sure the most spiritual leaders in Islam have been depressed Mm. at one point, you know, like Mm -hmm. these things happen. It's just it. Like you said, it's willpower. It's it's faith, right? That faith in God, that things will get better. And I think that is really important because that is what grounds us um, as people, as people like, you know, going through things right now that like, okay, like I don't want to, I don't know. I just think that you have to, like you, if you have something to hold on to, or if you have something that you believe in that will pull you through and be like, eventually it will get better. That helps a lot that helps you get through the hard times. But, you know, when it's, when it's like schizophrenia, or if it's like really like clinical depression, and you can't get out of it, you know, you need medication. And that is not like religion or being religious is not an excuse to not take it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think um, I think mental health and religion is like kind of this weird slippery thing to even talk about because in my mind we came up with religion um as a way to cope with life and you know all of all of the baggage that life is and it's like we've taken it and kind of done the opposite thing with it like it's now used to oppress people um religion has been like the number one cause of war in history and it just like it really sucks because now we don't know how to equate the two together. But for a lot, a lot of people, it, they are very much intertwined. I think that mental health services don't necessarily have the right, um, like professionals don't necessarily have the right training or resources to deal with people who are very religious um, unless they happen upon someone who's the same religion. Uh, and even then there's like so many different this like widely varying beliefs between um people within the same religion so it's like like it's like what are you gonna do no i i completely agree like there is there is you're right like there's so much variability between belief systems but i think like we said it's what you take from it and like what you can what identifies with you the most right and that's what you've been doing and what I've been doing. And that's the only way that like, it makes sense. As I'm thinking about differences between people's beliefs in religions, there's also just like so many differences between the different cultures within religions. Like another big reason that I didn't accept um, and I still sometimes hesitate because it's like this weird reflex for me at this point because I've just like thought about this for, I've thought this way for so long, but like I, I still kind of dissociate myself from Hinduism. And I say that I'm culturally Hindu at, at the most and not so religiously Hindu. Um, but I got off topic there. I'm like winding around the one sentence that I'm trying to say, which is that there's just such a huge like separation between Hinduism and Islam. Like as a Bengali, it's always like Hindu versus Muslim. And um, that was always like, because I grew up in a place where there were a lot of Muslim kids. Um, and so like most of my friends were Muslim kids. And nobody in my family like cared about that. But it was also kind of, oh, but like, you know, like we're Hindu, like, you know, <laughs> it was, just, I don't know, like, it wasn't a huge thing, but it was kind of a thing. We always talk about how we're very similar and like we live similar lives, but I had the same situation except for all my friends were Hindu, <laughs> right? Um, and like, I think that I understand exactly where we're going again because like that's exactly what happened in my household. Nobody cared that I had Hindu friends. Like, my mom loved all my Hindu friends, but it was always like, um, yeah, but you're, you're Muslim, you know? <laughs> right, yeah like around this time like especially during ramadan and stuff it's like okay you hang out you can't go hang out with your hindu friends because you know you need to stay here and you know soak in islam as much as possible because you're not going to do that with your friends right right um and there is that there is that divide because there's a lot of i guess you know concepts in islam that you may not get as a hindu and there's a lot of hindu references that i will not get you know yeah. um as a Muslim. And I think that that is what prevents, like, you know, the, the meshment of those two um, communities with each other. 
Yeah. And, you know, it was one thing where there were differences and we we just acknowledged that, okay, we're from different families, whatever. Like that was kind of what I chalked it up to. Okay, we're, we have different families. It's fine. But then it, it started to become like much more real to me the older that I got, especially like in recent months, because India has been, on, I like haven't been very political on this podcast, but like India has been on some shit, honestly. The Hindus in India have like always been kind of supremacist type of people, but like it's been, and I see so many parallels between um, the Trump presidency and the like the Modi reign. Um, reign is the only thing I can think of to call it, but like, because like they kind of happened around the same time. Well, there were a few years in between, but whatever. Like they happened at the same time. They have a lot of the same supremacy like ideals. The right wing Hindu party is like just so so entitled the the bjp um and it's like they're treating muslims the way that we here treat mexicans and it's like it just makes me have a larger disdain for religion which i'm really trying not to do it's not the religion i know that it's i know that it's the culture not the religion i know that um but I feel really weird sometimes like when I identify as Hindu and then I see like all these disturbing things that Hindus are doing and I'm like, oh my God, these are supposed to be my people. It's a little shameful for me. I I have to like really draw that line between like thinking too hard about it and like taking too much responsibility from it. Like, but then also acknowledging that there are certain things that I do, um, benefit from because I get to be Hindu, which is not something that I realized. Like that took me a lot of years to realize because in America, like Hindus and Muslims don't have that many differences because we kind of look the same. It's still different yeah. for Muslims, but like at first glance we kind of look the same. So it's like, you know, we're just minorities in general. But like in India, like I would have so many more privileges. So like that's also been a hard lesson for me. Yeah. No, I I completely feel those sentiments in general and um the whole this whole movement of hindu uh you know hinduism in uh india and how the country thinks that it's best served if it eradicated islam in general mm-hmm. right yeah um that that's insane to me it's it, especially because um i think i think of bangladesh and how it's very accepting of all those religions you know regardless of if there is um, some sort of divide within Bangladeshi Muslims and Bangladeshi Hindus, it is, it still exists, you know, like they, they do still live pretty harmoniously with, with amongst each other. And something that actually, which is really funny, and I think um, it ties in perfectly with our conversation, but Sufism, mm-hmm. okay? So they say Sufism and how it's basically, um, like we talked about, it has a lot of Hindu ideals, right? Uh, it talks about nonviolence. It talks about um, rejecting materialism, just being one with God, right? Right. But it's still Islamic, right? Like, it's still Islam. General Modi, like, actually said, I think, in a few years back that if people accepted Sufism more, like, Muslim, that it would be best for the world, right? Really? And so, like, yeah, yeah, he did. Oh like, there's like, an actual... There's an actual article out on this, and I was just, you know, like I was just re- as I'm learning more about Sufism in general, I'm reading this, and um, I thought it was hilarious because obviously eradicated Islam completely. Right. So, like, how did he become so 
left, you know, like how did he become so left in that, in that mindset and um, okay with the, the way that like Muslims are literally being treated and like, you know, pretty much like trying to be eradicated in India. Like why, why is it like this? And I think that um, something that I think about all the time, and I'm glad you brought up the comparison with Trump, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's that ideal of hate. Yeah. Um, this is also why um, religion has been so interesting to me as of late and why I'm getting trying to understand more of it in general because I'm all about love. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> if there's anything that I've, I've, I've you know, like, right. personally... Love is, love, you could say love is my religion. Yeah. <laughs> love is my religion. Like, it's that, you know, they say, I guess, like, you know... Um, they it, it's love is the religion right like people say it as like a very hippie thing to say <laughs> yeah well no, like it is right like everybody's like oh yeah love like you know it's, it's i know it you, like becomes meaningless when it's said like that but i do i do feel that you think of people at like woodstock in the <laughs> 60s and like you know um just smoking weed and saying like that's their religion yeah and but Really, though, um, I think that that's where because spirituality has come in so strongly this last couple, like maybe the last decade or so, like you may see that spirituality has been booming. Like, you know, this whole idea of people becoming woke, quote unquote, it's an actual thing. Mm -hmm. They actually talk about it as like the great awakening um, of this, you know, generation of the century and it has nothing to do with religion. It actually breaks free of religious beliefs. And um, it's more about just being one with your higher self, right? Mm -hmm. That That's what spirituality is. And so it's funny because like, that's what Sufism is pretty much like essentially, but it is within the confines of Islam and Hinduism is very similar in the same way. Right. It's, they think, well, I know Jainism, for example, mm -hmm. um, they believe that God is within you, right? right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's the same for Hinduism, as far as I realize. Yeah, like the, the that concept, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's, you know, what religion really does, and what is causing all this hatred is just the other laws, right? Like all the other laws that say that this religion is wrong, but this religion is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is where spirituality actually very much and you know i'm i'm saying this on this <laughs> podcast and i'm gonna say don't quote me on this but like you know it is the answer like you know to have something that is less so not religious like i wouldn't say like not religious but like more towards things like sufism which is funny that modi said that right mm. um he doesn't follow that <laughs> like he doesn't really follow the concept that he he I feel um, like he literally like learned about Sufism and was like, oh, this is basically Hinduism for Muslims. So at least if we can get Muslims a little bit closer to Hindu, like so they're secretly Hindu <laughs> without knowing it, then yeah. I can deal with that. Like I feel like that was his thought process, his like twisted way of thinking of it. Probably. And like that's so uh, oh my yeah. god. Like I just I can't. But um, you know, it just is so uh, it just makes me so angry um, that people think like that, you yeah. know, and that they can take something so beautiful, um, like religion, like these, like things that really keep bring order to a lot of people, and 
um, make it so that they can put it against you. Like, what's the point of being Hindu if you're going to, like, you know, not be accepting of other people? You know, like, yeah. I, I just don't understand that. Isn't that a part of your religion? And, and that's the same thing with Islam. Like, it, it's a part of our religion. And these are things that literally very conveniently are not, you know, can be just dismissed during, you know, times of war and times of, you know, clean, uh, like ethnic cleansing or, you know, um, in general, like people will will use any excuse to um, overpower another group that is not like them. Yeah, like what happened last August in Kashmir, um, which I'm yeah. not going to recount the history of. Google is your friend, but yeah. Kashmir was basically yeah. just shut down. Right. And it's like there are still parts of Kashmir that like don't have internet and like have lockdowns and stuff. And it's still a really bad situation. And guess what? It's majority Muslim. Um, surprise, surprise. Yeah. So they're yeah. lacking in many, many rights right now. Um, and it was also a weird time, I think, for like us first generation Hindus because we were all sitting over here like oh yeah like our parents are all Democrats you know like they voted Obama they voted Clinton like you know they did all the stuff they were supposed to do and then when this happened with Kashmir and we were all like wow this is terrible and then we talked to our parents and they were like oh oh no, no this is good and we were like what the fuck like so many of our minds were just completely blown because we were like holy crap we have extremist parents like we never knew yeah. They're Democrats here because it serves them. And so it's just like, is, I think a lot of us like Hindus had like people my age or my generation had like this weird awakening where we were like, holy crap, um, I'm a little ashamed to like associate with the Hindu religion right now. Like there was definitely that moment for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it's the same way with, like, Muslims and, like, 9-11, right? Like, right. this, like, the culture and stuff. Like, it, it's the same thing. They're all, terror, like, terrorizing people, right? Um, we have – there is a lot of shame also, and I think that that's probably a sentiment that Muslims feel all over the world um, after 9-11 and after terrorist attacks mm -hmm. everywhere um, that they feel ashamed to be a Muslim. Like, and I think that – Personally, I know that that contributed, you know, to to my understanding of Islam too. Because, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm sure lots of people feel that way. Yeah, you know, nine eleven definitely for a lot of Muslims that was a, probably a turning point. Like you're afraid to be Muslim first off, and yeah, especially in our country or in all a lot of countries probably. You know, there was probably backlash more so as well um, after that happened. People associate you with hate crimes and um you know you are sitting there questioning whether or not you have the same beliefs you know that like i mean for us at least it wasn't as um like i didn't feel as though my parents were had those beliefs you know yeah. um it was never like that i don't for the most part they they felt that way which is probably not like that's different i guess from Hinduism because like I mean Hindus for the most part did feel that way um when it came to Kashmir and just like what's happening in general uh, yeah I mean the difference is terrorism versus politics but I think ultimately like in a way we both probably kind of felt like we had to go around like apologizing for like quote-unquote our people <laughs> which is yeah. which is a strange line to have to figure out yeah 
no, I completely agree. Um, ugh. I sometimes, you know, I'm still here looking for that silver lining all the time with my religion. Yep. Um, I do hope that I find it. I think that I will. It may not look like traditional, but there is a lot of good things that I've learned through Islam. And I think that for me, I'm going to stick to that. And I hope that the world can also see and, and start to peel out the things that are toxic within Islam or what we know or like what we've learned in Islam and, you know, take what is good. And I'm, I, I don't know how, how you feel about Hinduism. or Yeah, I mean, I, you can't see me right now um, because we're recording virtually, but I've just been sitting here nodding my head. <laughs> I'm like, I feel the same way about everything, dude. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's just crazy that there's just so many similarities between Hinduism and Islam in the way that it's been presented to us. Yeah, and in the way that we both have reacted to it, and I'm sure lots of people have had very, very similar reactions. Um, and to anyone listening, like, definitely feel free to reach out to either of us and like share your story or your thoughts about this. Yeah, I'm sure you may be more educated mm-hmm. in Islam or you know more educated in Hinduism. I don't know. I think you're pretty educated, but if you have any sentiments that you would want to share, you know, would make us feel that way. Um, I think I would love that. It is really hard to be educated in Hinduism because it's just so freaking old and like different parts, like (laughs) even different parts of India have like very different beliefs about it. And yeah, I mean, yeah, everything I'm talking about obviously is like my experience here in New York City, I'm Bengali, I'm from Kolkata, like, you know, it's a very, it's a very me experience. But I do think that lots yeah. of people can relate to most of what both of us are saying here. Yeah. Um, and mine too, right? Like I said, I think it's very common in our culture, specifically, um, to not really have a full understanding of Islam and just kind of have, have been brought up with it. Um, I don't know about other Muslims in other countries or people of different ethnicities and stuff. But um, I've, from what I know, it's very common. So I'm speaking from a very, you know, American, Bengali, like from Bangladesh mm-hmm. experience, Muslim experience. Yeah, but you know, I think the most interesting thing about this conversation is that we resonate so much with each other, even though like they're seen as such wildly different religions. Ultimately, like, they kind of produce the same people, right? They do. They do. And that's, and this is where I believe that all religions, um, for the most part, like, you know, they're singing the same tune. They're just singing it in different ways. Yeah. And I think that if once people realize that and, you know, once politicians or, um, you know, extremists and stuff start to understand that and, you know, quote unquote, make love their religion. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, I think we'd be better off, you know, um, I could go on about that forever. But, you know, for the sake of time, and also for the sake of your listeners that listen to your podcast, I'm sure they probably don't want to hear about my sentiments on love and how it's really the religion that we should be all I think, I mean, I think you, you talked about it a lot, even if you weren't saying it straight out. Yeah. Yeah. I did talk about it. <laughs> oh, no, which is a good thing. I mean, I think I, I have really enjoyed listening to your point of view 
and thank you for being on the show. It's always a good conversation with you. <laughs> likewise, <laughs> likewise. I, I love hearing your sentiments as well. Um, I always enjoy our talks. So thank you so much for inviting me. This was, has been an honor thank you. to be thank here. Thank for being here. Last minute stuff. Is there anything that you want to share about like, uh, like the Bangladeshi Food Bank? If you want to like plug that. Oh, yeah, sure. So through my platform, Children of 1971, we had been raising money during COVID-19 for Bangladesh to feed the underprivileged. And so um, this has been all over Bangladesh, um, different regions. We have volunteers all over and we um, have been working with a group called Bangladesh Food Bank, which is really the project that's um, held under Help the Poor Foundation um, other nonprofits or other groups have also kind of combined their efforts all in in the name of helping the underprivileged, which is beautiful. Like, honestly, this is the most beautiful part of Islam for me, at least, because um, we are it is mostly Islamic group. But there's no bias in terms of who gets the food in Bangladesh, because obviously, as we talked about, there's Hindus and Christians um, and, you know, even Buddhists in Bangladesh. There's no discrimination and they're doing really wonderful work and really helping a lot of people. So if you guys are capable, if you go under my link in my profile in Instagram or if you go on Children 1971, there is a link to donate to Bangladesh Food Bank. And um, you can learn more about it on Facebook. Google it. They also have on helpthepoorfoundation.com. They have a lot more detail about that as well. So um, thank you for letting me share thank a little bit. You. And I want to say that you guys have raised $30,000 as of today or yesterday, I think, which is like yeah. out of this yeah. world. It's so freaking awesome. Yeah, I am blessed beyond belief. I'm so grateful for everybody who's donated and just really like supported us on this project because I think people just did see that this was really a pure of heart project. It wasn't, it's not run by political leaders or anything of the sort in Bangladesh. It's, we're just, you know, Americans, Bengali Americans who care a lot about that country and, you know, understand that the economic consequences there are way more insane and also they're way less capable of handling what's going to go on with COVID and it's only getting worse there. So um, obviously like America is not in a good shape, but Bangladesh, I think it's a whole different beast and also money goes there goes a long way. So that's awesome. Thank you to everyone who's donated and guys keep it coming because as you can see, it's clearly working. So that's awesome. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. So if you want to reach out to Nafisa, you can find her through the episode description or on Instagram. You can also reach me through Instagram and Facebook at The Daisy Condition or tweet at me at tdcpodcast underscore or you can email me at thedaisycondition at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave ratings and reviews if you're listening on a platform in which you can do so and tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you next time.